Hello and welcome to This Week in, a brand new podcast here on Balls.ie with me, Mick McCarthy. I'm joined today by Donnie Mahoney and by PJ Brown. We'll talk to the lads in a second. This is a podcast where we're going to look at a particular week in Irish sports history and relive it. Because, lads, you may have noticed, but there's no sport happening at the moment. We're all self-isolating. We're in with the, you know, making sure we don't get the coronavirus. We're washing our hands and we're staying away from other people. But we still want to talk about sport, let's face it. And we're going to do that across balls that all week. We've got lots of great stuff lined up for you. If you're, going to, if you're a fan of podcasts, stay tuned to this feed. We're going to have something new for you every day. We're going to have this on a Monday. We're going to have debates. We're going to have quizzes. This is all the way through the week. There is a new schedule on balls. Also, stay tuned to our Facebook pages, our YouTube pages, our on-site, of course. You know, lots of great stuff coming for you. Basically, we don't want you stuck at home watching Premier League years until you drop. We've got lots of more interesting stuff for you to stay with you because, you know, we don't need live sport just to talk about sport. Look, we'd be doing it anyway. We can't help it. We can talk about anything in, in history. You thought, what about what would be now this week, 16th of March to the 22nd of March, it's a pretty busy time in, in sport normally. You normally have Cheltenham. You normally have, you know, Six Nations wrapping up. Lots of other stuff. One year in particular definitely stood out, though. 2009, because we had the small matter in one one beautiful Saturday. We had the small matter of a world title fight in Dublin where Bernard Dunn beat Ricardo Cordoba for the world title. And just a few hours before, Ireland won their first Grand Slam in 61 years beating Wales. Lads... I don't know if we'll ever have a sporting day like that again, will we? Yeah, you you beat me to it. Like I can't remember a day um, that was so amazing, emotional. The whole roller coaster uh, of of emotions that sport kind of can draw out of you, um, and so prolonged when you think of it as well. From sort of I I remember kickoff in that Wales game was probably around like five thirty or something like that, and then you know right up until about midnight or whenever the done fight finally wrapped up it was just such an incredible um experience just as a sports fan it was to me it was the the pinnacle of uh of kind of of be of living in ireland really you know like this is what um these sort of collective experiences that we have as sports fans um this is what it, it what is possible and I, I haven't experienced anything like it since yeah i think it was like 1am or something like that when that fight ended or definitely like you know quarter to one or something like that just an incredible thing, and I think we'll talk about it in a few minutes more. But I think we'd forgot, I'd forgotten anyway, just how mad that um, the whole Bernard Dunn saga and all the 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 how amazing the point was, you know. And I'm just thinking, like, I don't know if we've ever got that in Irish sport before or since. Uh, PJ, before I'll, I'll I'll talk to you about some of your memories of these in a minute. But before we get to these, like the two major events, and again, we'll talk about a lot what's going on in football because Liverpool were on a mad title charge. We've heard that somewhere before under Rafa Benitez. Uh, they they really uh, dug into Manchester United's lead and it was, God, Liverpool fans were so excited back at this time, 2009, 11 years ago. But just a few things that were going on in the world this week, uh, not to bring it down or onto things straight away, but the Joseph Fritzl case was uh, high on the news <laughs> everywhere, but let's not go into that. Unemployment was soaring during the financial crash towards the end of it. No, no, we won't talk about that. Hold on. Actually, I've got one for you. It was... Obviously, St. Patrick's Week, St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. A survey done, lads, named the five sexiest Irish sports, or not not sports people, just the five sev- sexiest Irish celebrities. Ooh. Was Brian O'Driscoll pretty high names. up there? I, I presume no. Brian O'Driscoll was pretty high up there at the time, no? No sports people made this list of five, yeah, disgracefully. There's three men and two women. Oh, give me Pierce Brosnan. Oh, straight out of the trap. Well done. Number one, Pierce Brosnan. Mead's own. He was named sexiest Irish celebrity. Gabriel Byrne? No, Gabriel Byrne didn't make it. I'm trying to go back here. Uh, We got James Bond. You got to presume Rosanna Davidson was in there. She was not. She was not. I'm going to give you one more guess each because we don't want to spend all day on the uh, the sexiest Irish celeb back in 2009. Uh. Linda Gilson, I, I'm total stabbing the dart there. No, unlucky. Donny, one more. Um, let's go. You're with... not going international enough for the last two guesses, let's. Okay, so Colin Farrell, obviously. Colin Farrell, number two. Well done. That buys you another guess. It's one all here. Um, was Michael Fassbender doing the rounds? <laughs> no, no. For some reason, I thought you said Michael Flatley there for a second. 
Michael Fassbender <laughs> was still probably playing minor football in Killarney at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, Andrea Corr. Oh, yeah. Number four, I don't know about this one now, Ronan Keating. Maybe we forget how big Ronan Keating was at the time. <laughs> was he at like, the peak of his uh, solo career? Was he? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little bit earlier than this, but yeah, not too far off. And number five, Nadine Coyle. So I'm not sure about that list, lads. Just other random sporting news that we're not going to get to, but I just, again, if you have memories of this, because, like, again, these things are big at the time, even though they're not quite remembered by the world. Man City qualified for the UEFA Cup quarterfinal under, uh, under pressure, Mark Hughes is their manager, right? They won a penalty shootout against Alberg. Man of the match, Stephen Ireland. Shea Given saves two penalties in the shootout to rescue him. They conceded two goals in the last few minutes before uh, to, to bring it to even extra time in the first place. Anyone have any memories of that? Because I don't at all. None. Z- no, okay. Zero. Uh, Joe Kinnear was getting ready to return as Newcastle manager, having uh, having taken uh, obviously having to take a health break after a heart scare. Um, you know, because Joe Kinnear was Newcastle manager, we shouldn't forget that. It was all a little bit weird. They fell into the relegation zone uh, under caretaker manager Chris Hewton. And Joe Kinnear, unfortunately, never returned because Alan Shearer was given the job until the end of the season, just a week after this this week in 2009. Do we have memories of that? Vague memories, but uh, <laughs> not, nothing, nothing very specific. Okay, and then the other thing that was happening was that Michael Sheen was at war with the Cloughs because uh, uh, the Damned United movie was about to come out. And basically, Michael Sheen spent a week. I read through nearly a week of newspapers here, lads. And Michael Sheen was in the papers every single day pleading with the Clough family to please watch the film. And uh, he basically wanted to be still friends with them, despite portraying Brian Clough against their wishes in what was ultimately a pretty poor film for what was a pretty, pretty brilliant book. I do like the, the only scene main, the scene I remember from that film is John Giles look standing menacingly over a hill as uh, Michael Sheen takes over as manager of Leeds. <laughs> very, yeah, very tall John Giles. Yeah, you beat me to it there, Daddy. He's six foot five John Giles, the Irishman. Okay, lads, let's get started with why we're really here, right? One of the greatest weeks, you would argue, in Irish sport, but it all kind of was over the last couple of days. There was some GEA going on. Uh, there was the football and hurling leagues in the in the football. You know, nothing to really write home about. Kerry were kind of dominating. They'd lost the All-Ireland to the Tyrone the year before. They were going on. They were easily beating teams, and they would go on to win the All-Ireland that year. Hurling's slightly more interesting because this week... Kilkenny hammered Tipperary in the league. Kilkenny had just won three in a row. Were seen as absolutely unstoppable. But they, once again, hammered Tipperary. Not You wouldn't think too much of it. Tip weren't really on the radar that much. And then just a couple of weeks later, four or five weeks later, they play in the league final. Tip bring them to extra time and in an absolute classic. And a rivalry is born that led to that year's All-Ireland final, to the following year's All-Ireland final, when they stopped the five in a row, to the ones after. And it's just, again, if you're looking back in a week, and if we were covering sport this week, and we were doing a show on the Monday after, we'd be talking about this, because it just seemed that there is nobody that's ever going to stop Brian Cody's Kilkenny. But the team that they hammered were just the team that were around the corner from stopping I remember that tip team kind of coming out of nowhere, really. I have to say, I'd never, I didn't think that they had that kind of level of talent in them. That was Liam, Sh- Liam Sheedy's first year, right? Yeah, that's it, yeah. They go on to play the All-Ireland. But look, unfortunately, as much as we will be doing, we'll be doing lots more GEA on this show over the kind of coming, when we pick random years over the coming weeks as we get towards the summer. But it was football, boxing and rugby that really stood out on this week in 2009 and I suppose more than anything, the rugby and Ireland's first Grand Slam 61 years when they beat Wales and Cardiff. Tomorrow Soleri to a more impressive Irish scrum. And O'Gara with a little kick and there's belief there for Ireland and maybe there's something in this. Maybe the opportunity is there. It is Tommy Rowe! Magic! Would you believe that? Peter Stringer urging his pack, Marcus Horn in particular, to get up and defend. They've almost nothing left to give. Horn 
for David Wallace and Wallace is helped by Paddy Wallace and Ireland in position. This must be it. This must be it for Ronan O'Gara. Drop it, goal! Grand slam at stage! As this day, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I was, when I was looking back over today that I'd kind of forgotten about. And stop me if you have any of your own. But, you know, one of them was that this match was 6-0 to Wales at half time. You know, I know there is a memory that it was a struggle. And obviously, Wales had the chance to win it. And uh, that, you know, um, Stephen Jones had the, or O'Gara got the late drop call to win the game. But 6-0 at half time, it's like... Bloody hell. <laughs> That's been just wiped from my memory completely. I was just going to agree. Like, I just, I watched that. The first thing I thought from scanning through the first half was, God, there was, this game was very tight. And Ireland, I guess, had no, like, a six, it was 3 0 up to about the 36th or 37th minute. So it was like Ireland were really not having, making any headway. And there was, I guess, it was such a sort of tug of war that there was just next to no scoring. Like, it, it was such a cagey match, and obviously it was built in this the tension that was created in the first half. Yeah, the the score at halftime was something that I'd forgotten until I watched the highlights back earlier. I, and also, how positive George Hook was, and certain <laughs> that Ireland were going to win this game. It was it was it was strange how positive he was. That was a slap in the face for me too, PJ. I think he said for three reasons: the coach, the coach, and the coach. So uh, big fan of Declan Kidney that week. This week in 2009, George Hook was a big fan of Declan Kidney. I don't know whether that always remained the case, but uh, yeah, Hook deciding we were definitely going to win the game was definitely a bit of a shock when I look back at it. The other thing was um, Brian O'Driscoll, how this man didn't win World Player of the Year in 2009 when he basically won the Heineken Cup with Leinster, won the Grand Slam with Ireland, beat uh, South Africa, and I, I don't know what else he did. He had an amazing Lions tour with South Africa, in South Africa. Uh, I think Ireland drew with Australia that year as well. But his performances in the Six Nations, people will remember the try he got against England, which was basically just determination. That's what, that's what scored the try, was determination. And I had forgotten that he did literally scored the exact same try when Ireland needed it most in this match. Everybody remembers Tommy Bowe's try. Everybody remembers the drop goal. I think they forget that Brian O'Driscoll literally had the lowest centre of gravity in the history of rugby to just get under the line when nobody else is going to do it um, in this game. He scored so many of those tries. Those ones where he kind of like, he burrows over the, over the line. Like he's some burrows, kind of, good words, he, yeah. he's, he's like some kind of like, bur- like burrow, six foot burrowing animal. Also, the, the 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 other thing I remember, like, notice from that try was, the on the commentary, it, it's all Royal Nugent, and then out of nowhere, Ireland, they're over, they're showing the replay, for for the TMO, and, like like someone who had been for for a halftime point and just like walked out <laughs> onto the aisle to see the replay, Tony Ward declares that is a try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, PJ, you've set me up brilliantly. I don't want to stop talking about Brian O'Driscoll, but I'm gonna because Tony Ward is one of the things that jumps out straight away to me in this when I'm watching this back. And again, if things that you've kind of forgotten, looking back at Ireland's 2009 Grand Slam, but one of them was that I re- I kind of miss him on rugby commentary. I have to be honest. He's a great wet man to sum up a try, as you'll hear in a second. But the act, this compilation of things is it's from Tommy Bowe's try. It's from uh, it's from O'Gara's drop goal, and then ultimately from the final whistle. And just listen to how Tony loves a good squeak when he gets excited. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. That was superb. The precision, the difference, the innovation, and Tommy Bowe. Like that one at the end is just spectacular. That's what uh, that's what this game is all about, really. If you're going to be a co-com, bring your passion to the table. That's yeah, yeah, uh, Al- for real. Alan Quinlan could look, could he could add a bit more squeakiness, I think. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say, just speaking about the commentators, one thing I yeah I think we underestimate uh, f- at, from a bit of a distance is just how hard of a job Ryle Nugent would have especially had in that game, just commentating on the Welsh team, which had. It looks to me like eleven guys with the surname Jones playing. So there, <laughs> there, there was Adam Jones, Alan Wynne Jones, 
Stafford Jones. Um, Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones, obviously, and Mark Jones. That's a lot of Joneses. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's like that's basically like a, t- a third of the team has the same name, Jones. None yeah. of them have numbers on their back or names on the back. Like, it's, that's just a very hard thing to do. Um, I don't know if... Yeah. Or is it an easy thing to do and just say Jones and hope for the <laughs> yeah. best? When yeah, they maybe have, right, maybe right. Keeping up with the Joneses is never easy. So that's probably why Ireland were like down by 16 at <laughs> halftime. Also, uh, just another thing, just one thing, um, Mick, you, you're a bit of a kid aficionado. Can we all agree with hindsight that the, that Ireland shirt in 2009 was just way too tight? It was very tight. It wasn't, it wasn't a great colour. And being honest, like, I was just looking at it there where Jamie Heesop runs the length of the pitch to give Tommy Bow a hug after he gets to try. And it's like, the numbers were bloody horrible on it as well. You know, yeah. it, ju- it just wasn't a nice jersey. It'd be like... It'd be like Ireland deciding to win the Euros this year in the current kit that they have, if there is a Euros this year. That's, uh, you know, this, uh, like, w- let's go and achieve the most we've ever achieved while we have the worst kit we've ever done so people will look at it for the rest of the history. Is that too harsh? No, I think that's fair. Oh, the Wales kit isn't much better. but Wales wearing uh, green socks against Ireland as well. Like, you just, it's amazing how those things are just phased out and you don't even notice them, but that just wouldn't happen now, like. Yeah, it does look like Tom Shanklin has borrowed like someone's socks from from an Irish player there. Actually, <laughs> just like scrolling through pictures of it here, and that that is you're right. It is a terrible font on the back for the Irish numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing is just uh, lo- the longevity of certain people. Wayne Barnes refereeing for this game, and Alan Wynne Jones like not looking <laughs> like a young man eleven years ago playing uh playing absolutely superbly as usual for Wales, um the legend that he is, um and nearly denying us a grand slam. And the last thing then lads is just before the like again, it's like I don't mean to be like all rugby nerd on this because I'm I'm not one of those, but you know, everyone will remember O'Gara's drop goal and people right remember how much of a brilliant pass Stringer gave to him for it. But what really stood out to me watching it again was David Wallace's run to set it up in the first place. Ireland were really wide. Uh, Marcus Horan picked it off the rook and gave it to Wallace. And you, you mentioned burrowing earlier there, PJ. He just like determinedly burrowed in at a kind of a diagonal angle. And he made about like five metres over the gain line and centred it up so that Ireland, so that Agar was right in front of the posts. And I think that's one of those things that's almost been forgotten by by kind of history as well. You know, whereas what, what do we remember from that game? We remember... Tommy Bow scoring, we remember O'Gara scoring, and we remember Paddy Wallace nearly costing us by giving away one of the stupidest penalties you've ever seen. And that's kind of it, really, you know. But um, little things like someone like David Wallace doing that is just forgotten about forever. Um, anything else, that's Yeah, how much like the game changed? The game changed in six minutes after halftime. I'd forgotten how quick it was because, so, uh, Brian Driscoll scores a try, and then, like, nearly from the kickoff, We've got, we've got, we've got Tommy both Troy. I, I had forgotten how quickly it changed. Also, the the bounce between the two Welsh players from Rogers from Rogers kick into Tommy Bow's arms is one of the most satisfying moments in the history of our sport. I like, I, I could watch that. I well, I did watch it over and o- over and over again. It, it's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Can I just ask in real time what did you guys? What was your thoughts with like the moment that the kick happened? Um, were you was it clear to you that the uh, that the, uh, the the penalty had been missed? I honestly don't remember. Okay, o- other than I, I I remember like there was a good. I was at work watching this game, and there was a good like twenty minutes where I didn't sit down towards the end of the game. And definitely at this stage, I think I might have been standing on a chair because you have to get more out of your comfort zone as the game gets more and more tense, you know? So, yeah. like, I remember just the stress more than anything. I And just watching it there again, though, in my head, again, memory over 11 years can be tricky for you, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute with something rather massive about this week. But memory can be tricky, can play tricks on you. In my head, that was short from the second he kicked it. Watching it again today, it's it's not a bad kick. It's straight down the middle. And there's a moment when it's in the air where you don't know that short. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah you, I thought, like, I thought it went over. Watching it back, you just he just needed to put like a little, bit, just a bit more power on it. Maybe that was all he had. But yeah, he, he felt like could he not like hit that a bit harder, and it probably could have gone over. Also, do you know like how late in the game that like 
in contrast to like the modern game, that Marcus Horn and John Hayes are both still on the pitch after 77 minutes. It's unbelievable. And it's unbelievable that it feels, because of things like that, because of like not automatically changing your props in, in, in like, in, uh, you know, after 50 minutes, it feels like such a different era of the game when it's actually only 11 years. So we're, we're going to talk about like, you know, we're talking about football in a few minutes and we're talking about like GA a few minutes ago. Not like, it doesn't feel like it's a different world. In rugby, it feels like it's a completely different world. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, like you said, those lads will be gone after 50 minutes, whereas, you know, they must have been on fumes at that stage in the yeah. game. Like, there's a moment where um, I think it's like Peter Stringer is pretty much having to t- tell Marcus Horn to get up off the ground as they're trying to, <laughs> as they're, uh, trying to maneuver their way in for, for the drop goal. Like, yeah, Stringer's like tap. Marcus Horn is like on his, on his, on his, like, lying on the ground at a rock. And Stringer's like, just tell him, get up. You got to get up. <laughs> it was a, it was a brilliant day, even before we get to the Bernard Dunn thing, because there was a sense of like, you know, it was the drama definitely added to it because it wasn't straightforward, but there was a sense that there was a, this team deserved that as well. They'd been going for so long. You know, you look at like, 2000 you know 2001 maybe even the end of that season where after the foot and mouth all the way through 2003 where they had a grand slam game against England and got absolutely hammered win the triple crown in 04 getting you know in in 06 as well but in 07 obviously that like Vincent Clerc try in Pro Park possibly denying the grand slam and then it all kind of coming apart under Eddie at the World Cup in the following year, Six Nations. And it's just, I think getting there, I think there was a real sense for anyone with even a moderate interest in rugby that this team just deserved it um, and deserved to kind of get that bit of glory. That's like, again, like it wasn't even just winning a championship. It was like winning the Grand Slam for the first time in 61 years. So um, it was all, it's already one of those kind of like moments that I think we'd be talking about today, regardless of what, what came next later that night, you know? I like despite him like nearly being the villain of the moment. I I I did enjoy Paddy Wallace' kind of uh, ability to have humor after the game. When well, you know, they did win the Grand Slam, so it was probably a bit easier to have humor. But Dev Cahill was interviewing him, and he asked him like, "What was your? Were you kind of what was going through your head as the penalty was awarded?" And he said, "I thought the game lacked a little bit of excitement." (laughs) (laughs) Fair play to him. Uh, Paddy Wallace is a lovely guy. Actually, we had him at one of our uh, one of our shows at last year's Six Nations um, when Ireland uh, shit the bed again. Actually, it was <laughs> in the in the, the up and down nature of Irish rugby. Uh, we decided to have a down year there, but uh, we spent the day with Paddy, and he was an absolute gent, really nice guy. And I have to say, I blamed him a lot less for that mistake in an Ireland jersey, uh, having spent a few hours with him. Um, I think that's it, though, for the for the rugby lads. Unless you have anything else to to any memories to share. Has has Wayne Barnes actually aged at all since that game? No, not he one exact, bit. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> is there Absolutely. a is there a tap tackle from Peter Stringer in the like somewhere in like the seventy six minute? I I've scrolled through it and I can't find it at all. It's, it's frustrating. It's like emblazoned in my memory, but I can't find it. Uh, I Peter, don't remember. Peter that, Stringer yeah. was always good for a tap tackle. There sh- there must have been one in there somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I just remember a kind of a try saving tackle on somebody, maybe Tom Shanklin or somebody twenty times the size. But yeah, yeah. I one thing I like, just a final note is I re, it's I remember how much more I like Jerry Flannery than uh than uh, Rory Best as just hookers. Like just Flannery plays a lot of like scrum half in this game and is everywhere and always very active <laughs> around the uh, the breakdown. Like he was just such a great a great character uh, in in those Ireland teams. You kind of you you miss it. Yeah, it was it was a, li- a little bit less robotic in those halcyon days yeah, of yeah, eleven yeah. years ago. <laughs> Throw back to the amateur era, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Listen, we'll move on because we could talk about the rugby all day. We don't, uh, you know, this is we sure look. I suppose we're in no rush. There's no there's no real sport to get to, so we'll talk about sport from years ago instead. I want to talk about Bernard Dunn. We're going to finish with that because that is really I I can't wait to get into that because I was watching it again today and it's just mad. But the football that was going on at this time, lads. This is the maddest thing for me, right? Now, I want you guys to adjudicate as to whether I've lost my mind or whether collectively as a country, we have a falsified memory here. Because I was sure 
Sure. Like, I mean, gun to my head, I would swear on my house that earlier this morning, on the 21st of March, that Liverpool went to Old Trafford and won 4-1. Then Ireland won the Grand Slam, then Werner Dunn won, and it was all wrapped up in an amazing day of sport that no one will ever forget. Until I'm doing my research today, and the 14th of March keeps coming up for Liverpool and United, and I'm like, there's a mistake here somewhere. And I go and eventually check the scores, and no, that was the previous Saturday. And then the following week, what happened was Manchester United lost to Fulham 2-0, and then the following day, Liverpool beat Aston Villa 5-0, and they were within a point of United in the title race and were on an absolute charge before it all inevitably fell apart in the way it does for Liverpool. Am I gone mad, lads, or did everybody think this? I certainly thought that. And I I think it's partially down to a Bernard Dunn interview where he says the Manx got beaten. And in my head, that kind of conflated it all into 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 like into one day when, yeah. when it turns out my memory is faulty as well. <laughs> I can't believe it. Like I still I'm still kinda not sure, even though like I've I've got incontrovertible proof that that game was on the fourteenth. I still kinda don't really believe it. Donny. Talk some sense here. What's what? What happened here? Um, Give me a psychological reason why we've all remembered this wrong. I don't know. I think maybe it's like you're just you're kind of grouping together. You you want all of these intense emotional sporting memories to kind of ha- happen all at once because they all kind of happen within the same sort of period of time. So you just merge them into the one day. Was that the Liverpool game that you're talking about? Is that the one Dosena scores and uh, uh, from a free kick or something? Is that? That's the one. No, it was um Torres and uh Torres got two, I think. Gerard got a penalty. Jeez, I'm not sure who got the fourth goal actually. But they uh, like as Fabio the, the headlock... scored a scored a free kick and the Sena got the, the fourth goal. The Sena, okay. Right. Good man, Donnie. Yeah. Well done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Gerard in the grey jersey kissing the camera and um you know, as opposed to headbutting it, which is what he does these days. Yeah. Uh, as Rangers manager. Uh, but yeah, like that, that's the, uh, that's my memory of it in the Liverpool's like really cool gray Jersey with the red trim. Mm. And, you know, again, my memory was kind of wrong in this way as well, in that I thought that this was Liverpool gone like way ahead in the title race to which they would later blow, but actually they were coming back into it having yeah. already blown it. So again, one of those sort of like uh, false narratives that's out there, but there was a lot going on because this was an amazing season actually, because you had Fernando Torres at his best. Gerard, in fairness, at his best, like you know, always overrated just because of how much of a folk hero he is. That's not. That's actually not disrespectful. That's just that's shows how much of a legend he was to Liverpool fans. It's just that they kind of rate him too highly because of how much they love him. Fair enough, you know. But this was him at his very, very best. And this team was really good, and you kind of thought they were going to do it for a minute, you know. Um, mm. But Torres was just unplayable and. When you think about lads who were mentioned there, the Sena, Riera, all these boys, you know, it, I don't know if it was a title winning team, you know, but uh, no, this was the year. That's a, I mean, United have Tevez, Ronaldo, and Rooney, like all at their peaks. Like there's no, like those teams don't really compare at all, right? Yeah. I think this was uh, Ronaldo's last season, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like, did like Vidic at the back and watch, yeah. watch, watching, watching back that Liverpool game, he's a shambles in that game. He's like, yeah, he, he was actually. He, yeah, he's like Torres. He, Torres doesn't even destroy him for the first goal. He's just like he's he bumble he bumbles it. Like he just like he should play it back to the keeper. He doesn't. He doesn't know what he's doing. Torres runs through and scores the equaliser. Uh, for the third goal, he gets sent off. He brings down Gerrard and Fabio Aurelio scores the scores from the free kick. Like you know, you, you always remember him being this rock solid defender who. Well, in my mind, never very rarely made a mistake, but he in that game he was awful. Yeah, my, especially at this era where he was just absolutely brilliant. But yeah, terrible game. My own memory of that just particular champion, like that Premier League season, is like I, it was. These were before the days of internet streams for me, so all of those things I experienced them via uh, Ron Jones on Today FM as <laughs> as on Premier League Saturday, or whatever it was called. And yeah, like. You know, I could have like very strong memories of like of Ron Jones commentating on that the four one game, the uh, Makeda game, all of these ones. Like I can just hear it very clearly. Um, I, I have no idea. Like it's all that sort of like March April time of the year. It feels like spring, but it's still kind of like 
you know, Irish, it still feels like winter as well because it's Ireland. So, um, I just, to me, it's all that, all, all those matches and that whole season is just Ron Jones's sort of narration. Yeah. Uh, the Villa one, though, of uh, the Makeda's goal, which eventually was kind of the, the one that sort of wrapped up the league for United against Villa. I'll never forget that. That was um, that was unbelievable. I think that that's to me what kind of sums up how brilliant the season it was. You know, if you're looking back at it, United did this is uh, like it was a mini crisis, right? So Liverpool were seven points behind, beat United four one at Old Trafford, right? Then United go and lose to Fulham two 0 They get Skulls and Rooney sent off in the same match. Yeah, and then the next and then the next day Liverpool beat Villa five 0 This is a really good Villa team who were going for Champions League at the time. Um, and I think ended up finishing sixth. It was Martin O'Neill's kind of like uh, glory era, you know. I think Villa were trying to hang on to Gareth Barry at the time. You know, you'll remember that kind of that phase of their history. But like, it was like, oh my god, this could be it. This is the year Liverpool could do it. And obviously, they they tease you every few years to do it. And then you know, a few years later, they they look like they're almost there. And then Gerard literally slips, having said, "Don't let it slip," and they don't win it. And then, of course, this time. They go out and they say, right, okay, no messing this time. We're going to go 25 points clear to make sure that we definitely win it. And then the season ends. So I think there's definitely a curse there <laughs> We have to <laughs> at this stage. But uh, if you can name for me the goal scorers for Fulham in their 2-0 win against Manchester United on uh, the day we're talking about here, the one of the greatest days in Irish sport, not necessarily international sport, uh, you will win... A packet of Mega Minis each. I, give me, I, I, give on. me Facundo Sava. Wrong. Yeah, Go more. Both of them would have been around for a long time. They weren't. Uh, they weren't kind of like Johnny come one season lately, like Sava or any of those boys. Clint Dempsey. No, good guess though. Uh, one more. One more try each. Zoltan Guerra. Oh, Donny, there is a packet of Mega Meanies coming to you in the post, along with a hand sanitizer to make sure that you don't uh, get anything off the Mega Meanies. <laughs> Give me uh, Breda Hangeland. No, unfortunately. That's two guesses each. Hangeland, not a bad guess at all, PJ. The the more obvious answer, though, was the right answer, and it was a penalty by Danny Murphy. Uh, Zoltan Gira got a late, a late sealer for Fulham. But there you go. That is... Uh, also... Just because I, I wrote it down here because I know nothing about it and I don't care. But on this week in 2009, Phil Brown was fined by the FA. I didn't look into what he was fined for, but it was accompanied by a picture of him wearing his stupid headset uh, back in the day. And I just remembered that Phil Brown was a thing, yeah. which I think I'd say it's a good three years since I remembered Phil Brown existed. And it was nice. It was nice to remember him. Was for, that, for, for that brief moment only, though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I'm already sick of him. I wasn't even going to bring him up there. Okay, lads. Here's the main event of the evening. This fight is going one way and another way and back again. This is one of the best fights I've seen in a long, long, long time. He has a goal! He has a goal! One more touchdown! The late, great Jimmy McGee there on commentary with Dave Boy McCauley. And for possibly, like, I'm putting it out here. We mentioned it already. Donny, in the history of Irish sport, All-Ireland finals, everything that's ever happened, has there ever been a better atmosphere 
like that that we have witnessed at our age, our advanced age, has there ever been a better atmosphere for an Irish sporting event? Well, I can't remember one, but like, but you have to kind of like put the whole day into context because I'm sure everybody who was who walked into that into the O2 arena at the time, as it was known, was watching the rugby and like all kind of like wound up by that result and then kind of maybe even had a few drinks on them, then strolled into the point. So there's already a kind of frenetic mood. Then I just remember like these like these drums, these drummers that they had, um, that were kind of like kind of maybe it was when Don was doing his ring walk that like just like a lot of pounding kind of drums. But like the mood and like I guess the raw violence of the of the evening uh when in the ring i know there was and obviously katie taylor fought fought on the pre-card am i right there was Mick- yeah as an amateur yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously yeah because it was uh you know she she'd uh she was going to london three years later um from this but yeah yeah she was part of a um yeah there was all, like i mean let's let's face it like brian peters who now is just a manager of katie taylor back then was putting on promotions there was fights Bernard Dunn was the headliner of it all. The point or the O2 or whatever it was at the time was the focal point before it got knocked down. It was a real kick in the teeth actually when that they had to get they had to move to the stadium when they were redoing uh the point. But like it was an era, I think, unmatched in a weird way almost by any Irish sport. And it's so sad that it can't come back now because it was unique and it was it kind of developed a life of its own, PJ. Like it was and it was all building towards this night and for it to kind of come to, for it to all come together in the way it did with this incredible fight. Like it wasn't like this, just this like kind of 12 rounder where Bernard won on points or anything like that. It was one of the greatest scraps in boxing history. And it all just kind of cut like to, for it to culminate this entire run of two or three years with Bernard's career, with the insane following that he had, which is just something that we don't, do that well in this country you would say you know this kind of like cult following um for live sport and you know for everything peters was doing and him being in the ring at the end of it and all it was just fantastic it was like it's it's it would be hard to write not that like this you could write any script you want but i hate that expression but if you were to say to do something realistic it would be hard for it to you know this is the end of the movie you know oh if like it's the fairy tale kind of ending, I guess. But like, I think one of the reasons, definitely one of the reasons that we remember this uh, this day so favorably and so well is because it was all on RTE. Like you had the rugby was on RTE. Then imagine just, like a title fight that is on RTE later that evening. It's kind of like it's a different era of sport. I mean, like that fight would now be on like Sky Sports box office. Far fewer people people would see it live. We wouldn't have this memory of this great day. Uh, it'd be on in Manchester yeah. as well. Like you know, like let's face it, you know, it, it just wouldn't be. There, there's no. We have Irish boxers. Like as much as I love Bernard, I don't know if they have the the personality or the the support or the following that he has, which is as much a part as anything in boxing and shouldn't be underestimated. But we have boxers as good as him, and obviously we've got like a, a super super duper star in Katie at the moment, and like she's not fighting in Dublin, you know. And it's it's do you know what actually watching that again today that really hit home how kind of how how kind of sad that is that how much backwards we've gone in the last 11 years in terms of, uh, you know, really making Ireland a kind of a home for professional boxing. We have the venue to do it. You don't need a bigger place than the point for like a really, really big hub of uh, the sport. Yeah. I, for myself, yeah. I, like it, that was probably the first, like as an American, the first like real Irish boxing night that I ever kind of remember experiencing. And it really just felt like it was going to be the springboard of something bigger. Um, and I, it's just mad when you think of like, how prominent Irish boxers have been in the Olympics in the sort of in the decade that followed, and just how we just don't have that at all in the, in the country. It's quite um, quite uh, sad actually. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A few things to talk about here, then, from my point of view, lads, and and again, chime in with anything that I've missed or that you want to talk about yourself. But uh, one of them is Bernard's journey himself, you know. And I kind of mentioned, you know, earlier about 
people just being delighted for the Irish team and felt like they deserved it. I definitely think there was a there was a feeling the whole country had come on Bernard's journey with him, you know, and it was through the Europeans and all those brilliant fights. And then, you know, he was knocked out in the first round by Kiko Martinez in a European title fight. And you're like, oh God, this is over. But to kind of put his boots back on, put his gloves back on and go and get this world title fight against, you know, Ricardo Cordoba was a great fighter that was probably past his best, but he was still the world champion at the time. It was a great match to get. And then for them to get in the ring, and then again, for Bernard to just like go out there and give it everything, not go conservative, not say, you know, I was knocked out here, you know, a year or two ago. I'm going to make sure I, you know, survive the fight around. He just went and go, I'm going to go out and fight this lad. And if I'm good enough, I'm going to win it. And I think, again, one of the reasons it's so memorable is because you know, he went out and fought that way and it was such a great fight. And then the other one is just because to see the emotion at ringside from his family, from his friends, from Peters, as we said, who's literally got Bernard's blood all over his face mm-hmm. as they hug in the in the ring and Bernard himself. It's like, it was such a release of, I've done it, I've made it. You know, again, as I mentioned, like it's end of the movie stuff, like, you know, but uh, I don't think, I don't know if anybody deserved it more than Bernard Dunn. That's all true, but can we give a shout out to Cordoba who had the balls to come to Dublin and like take on this hostile environment, put his belt on the line when I don't know if many fighters would, would be so kind of brave. I'm sure the payday made it worth it for him, but like, I'm sure there was easier routes, uh, easier fighters to take on. Like, I think you kind Cordoba's kind of role in the whole thing might often gets overshadowed just because of, of our connection with Bernard but like fair play to him for coming in and making it memorable my kind of memory is always of Shane Horgan and Paul McGrath sitting next to each other in the front row and I don't even know if, <laughs> if that's true or not <laughs> Well, look, we've we've discussed falsified memories on this uh, on this show already a lot, so I've no idea whether that's true or not. It's been weird because you think Shane Horgan might have been in, in Cardiff just watching the match, even, but I guess maybe he wanted. Yeah, he wanted. Was Shane Horgan dead? Like, so, okay, so he was. Was he not? He's still in the Ireland squad. No, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think when Kidney came, but he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing. I don't know. Was he injured? Yeah. But no, no, I don't think so. No. I don't know. I just remember. I just, no, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. It's just, it's just a memory I have of of Horgan and maybe and Paul McGrath like four or five rows back, just sort of like kind of watching the whole thing. <laughs> That's a brilliant one. PJ, anything on this? Um, I I definitely want to talk a little bit about the referee not stopping the fight, but we can get to that in a couple of minutes. Yeah, just like how like how much of a, like a barn burner of a fight it was. It wasn't just like about that like eleventh round. Like way before that, it it was this incredible fight. It's like Dunn burned Dunn knocked him down, knocked Cordoba down in the third round. Cordoba knocked Dunn down twice in the fifth, and then that that's all kind of leading up to the eleventh, where I think at that stage Bernard Dunn needed needed the knockout if he, he he was probably down on the scorecards by that yeah. stage by that stage in the fight if he hadn't knocked him out like he wouldn't have won yeah yeah it's true isn't it and the whole day is kind of defined by these kind of like sliding doors moments where you know maybe maybe on this particular show we would have been talking about both events but I'm not sure history would have been talking about them all that much if you know both of them had just gone the other way if that bounce of the ball had gone differently or Jones had kicked it longer or if you know if Cordoba had just avoided that first punch, you know, of the first of the three knockdowns in the 11th, like, you know, both of them were hurt, both of them were dead in their feet, but Bernard just connected at the exact right time, and if he didn't, he might not have won the fight, you know? Also, um, also like, Cordoba gets up way too quickly, like, on yeah. on the first two knockdowns. He's, like, he's up straight away when there is, there's what, there's, like, a, there might be a minute left in the fight or so, maybe over a minute yeah. when he gets knocked down the first time. And he's up straight away. He's knocked down again 10 seconds later, up straight away. Like, if he had had a bit more, like, he's a champion at that stage. You think you're going to have the, comp- I mean, like, a bit more, a bit of composure, like, a bit of kind of nous in those moments. It's strange because. He never recovered, though. No, like, no, like, I mean, he was, I, he was out on his feet from the second he was hit. So I don't think any, I don't think there was a chance for any nous after that. Like, you know, he was just, uh, decisions weren't being made in a right state of mind from that. And that, I think that does bring up why, you know, and like, it didn't look great at the time. And you can hear on the commentary, like Jimmy McGee keeps bringing it back to like, you know, the champion deserved his right to defend his title, but come on, like this had to be stopped. And, but 11 years later, that's you know, like, regardless of what you thought at the time, 
it's hard to watch like a guy who just should not have been let fight for a good as you said may, maybe he should be given the second chance PJ but the third chance like he it was disgraceful like it really really was and that like you see the end of the fight like Cordoba is down he is I I didn't see it in, in the footage I watched today but I, I don't know if I remember at the time from seeing it in a picture or from seeing a different angle or whatever it was but he was like flat on his face unconscious as Bernard was celebrating now in fairness to Bernard like I mean I don't know what was going through his head because he has this like weird thing where he celebrates for two seconds and then he runs over to see his Cordoba. Okay, the referee tells him to get lost, to get out of here, that the doctors are doing what they're doing. And then Bernard goes and celebrates again because obviously it's the biggest night of his life and the biggest achievement. He'll meet someone else in the ring, his wife or, you know, whoever. And then he'll run back over to see his Cordoba. Okay. And then he's kind of sent back off again. And this happens like four or five times over the course of like a minute or two. And I can only imagine what was going through his head. I'd say it was just pure adrenaline and worry and everything. But this guy was in one of the biggest nights in Irish sports history. And he's one of the biggest achievements in one we'll always see. There's a man unconscious on his face on the mm-hmm. other side of the ring. And it's, it's a surreal thing to look back on that. It really is. With he, he was treachered out of the ring. I'm pretty sure that I read that. Like that's yeah. He, he he's down for so long as well. It's you never see that, don't you? Not like someone might be knocked out, but they're up on their knees or whatever a few seconds later, and it's later on that the damage comes. But this guy, they, they couldn't make him up. Like hmm. anyway, I don't want to end on that note though. Um, Bernard would lose uh, the title to. Uh, does anyone want to have a go at his name? Prakar Budamna. No, Poonswad Prangendangam. There we go. It was like Poonswad. Yeah, Poonswad Prangendangam. Very good. Dangadingadingdang. I, I, I was accidentally uh, about to say, but Donnie got beat me to it with a correct pronunciation. Well done. So, yeah, Poonswad uh, beat him. Like, had just probably had too much power for him. It was a bad fight that they had to take. It was a mandatory challenge um, later on that year. But I guess it was one of those things with Bernard. It was like you get to the mountaintop, you know that's kind of the level he was sort of doing it he didn't have a huge amount left in the tank anyway but i will say that punsuat like you know definitely some uh substance issues later on in his career and some bands and stuff like that that would kind of make you question where all that power came from a super bantamweight uh so it's a pity that bernard didn't get a few little uh, a few little defenses together um in dublin and kind of establish that a little bit more but i don't think anyone will ever forget the night you beat cordoba anyway and that's kind of like that's all his legacy really needs to be, isn't it? I'd like to point out that I gave you the, uh, the his birth name. Danny, Danny gave you his uh, alias. Ah, oh. <laughs> really? Are you serious? Yeah. I just thought you got it wrong. No, that's that's incredibly. That's like that's going deeper on the answer than. Uh, so I'm asking a very difficult question, and you gave me a deeper answer than I was even looking for, PJ. That's super impressive. Yeah, I I did remember. I was I was looking at this on like box rec earlier on, and. It did, did seem like I don't remember that being his name, but I yeah I look look a little bit deeper here and yeah, birth name Prakarb Udomna and alias Poonsawat Kraken. I I'm not going to Krakendangam was it Krakendangam Krakendangam. So his alias is basically is not. It's strange that someone would pick their alias as a word that's basically unpronounceable. I suppose if it's it your name, it's your name. Like but uh, well, anyway, look Poonsawat Bakrak. Yeah. Ah, I don't want to. I don't want to spend much time talking about Poonswad. I'm not <laughs> not a big fan, uh, or whatever his real name is. But uh, Bernard Dunn uh, always will be an Irish hero. It's a pity we don't get those days back. Ooh, highlight of that week, then, lads. PJ, like I almost, I, I I think we kind of like we're narrowing it down to two events, obviously, because they were so much bigger than everything else. But because of that, I think we have to go with a specific moment from e- either the boxing or the rugby. The ball bouncing, but the ball from like Roger's kick bouncing into Tommy Bow's arms is my even in with Roger's like drop drop goal. That's my favorite moment. Is just the bounce the ball takes perfectly into Tommy Bow's arms, sprinting onto it. The two Welsh lads basically running into each other like yeah. a computer game as well. Yeah, Donny, you have one. Yeah, well for me it's Jones missing the drop, missing the penalty because it's like I just remember this kind of the, the feeling of like the, the kind of tension that I've never experienced as a sports fan before and then it looking like it had gone good and then the, just the confusion from Ryle and just the uncertainty for 
a moment or two and then them shouting that it wasn't that Ireland had won and just that just the release that followed that like that to me will will always be just uh probably untoppable as a sort of sporting memory. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you on that in terms of the highest tension. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that. And that is part of being a sports fan. The one I that sticks out for me, though, just a little bit, for me personally more, was Bernard running to the ropes at the end of the fight because he'd celebrated a bit. I think everybody was so emotional and, like, hugging the person next to them and stuff like that and, like, really, really out of their mind with excitement and happiness and relief and everything else that it took a good 30 seconds for the place to cheer in a way that I don't think I've ever heard an Irish audience cheer before. And that was so Bernard literally just was turned away again from checking on poor Cordova and he just ran as fast as he could up to the corner, jumped up at the ropes and the point, the roof came off the point. Like it was one of the biggest cheers I've ever heard in my life. I was just like, that's what it's all about. Like that's, I don't think I've ever been as jealous of people in an arena as I was just looking at that, that one moment, you know? But what a day. I don't know if we'll ever have a day like it again. Well, the March, it's funny, March probably is like the best Irish sporting month of the year when you throw it, especially that, I mean, we would have had, would we have Cheltenham, have, would we have had Cheltenham building up that whole week, just getting us? Yeah, so Cheltenham, I, I was, when we talked about this earlier, I was sure Cheltenham was going to come into it, because it's obviously Paddy's week and everything like that, but like this year, Cheltenham was the week before, so it was actually, it was a really good Cheltenham as well, caught a star, won his first yeah. uh, Gold Cup, but that was on the 13th or whatever, so we kind of, again, if, if you include Liverpool and United and Cheltenham, that was the week before. Um, so that was last week in 2009. But yeah, again, like an amazing time. And it just, it makes you even all the sadder and sort of remorseful that, uh, you know, March has been taken away from us as is more than likely April and you would even further on, you know? Well, at least we have to do that. We, at least we have the memories to keep us going at the moment. At least we do. So it's, it'd be interesting to see what, what, what year we go for next week. We'll have a look into the archives. Uh, again, we're probably looking from, from next week, the 23rd, on to the 30th of March, a week in and around there. We'll find the best sporting week. We'll come back and chat to you about it and relive these memories because, lads, even we've enough memories of a, to last us a lifetime, even if we never had another game of football or hurling or rugby again. Um because we can relive, relive all these once a week at least. If only we could remember it all. Like, the only problem. <laughs> if, only our, <laughs> if only our memories worked right. But anyway. The false memories are half the fun. Honestly, they really are. Uh, anyway, listen, thanks a million to Donny. Thanks a million to PJ. You've been brilliant uh, panellists on the first ever This Week In. Dot, dot, dot. It was 2009 this week. We'll be back with you next week. But there's loads more stuff coming up on Balls.ie over the course of the week. Stay tuned to the podcast feed. Definitely stay tuned to our YouTube and Facebook feeds. We'll be doing lots of videos. We're doing lots of kind of like streaming of different things. We're going to make sport even where it doesn't exist. And So if you stay with us for the next week, we'll have plenty to keep you occupied as you... So you just... Look, lads, there's only so many Premier League years episodes you can watch. That's all I'm going to say. So stick with us. We'll see you right. Talk to you soon.